All right, well, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, book of Acts today, Um, Acts chapter 17, and uh, I'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbath reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also and Jason has welcomed them and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, and they left. We're living through tumultuous times. I'm sure you're all aware of that. Um, things that you've depended on for decades and maybe all your life uh, seem to be dependable no longer. And so uh, it's times like these that cause Christians to think about the end times and to think especially about uh, the return of Christ. And so we finished Romans last uh, week, and so this morning I'm starting a series, not on Acts, but on uh, First and Second Thessalonians. And so this is intended to be just kind of an introduction and a little bit of background about uh, the church in uh, Thessalonica. The Thessalonian church, as the, the two epistles uh, to, the, to that church shows, shows that the Thessalonian believers had a special interest, um, you might even say a fixation, with the end times, with the future of what uh, the Bible teaches about uh, the future. And we'll talk more about why that is as we get into um, the letters. So uh, I wanted to bring to you uh, some teaching about uh, the end times. In fact, people have even been asking me quite a few questions about uh, the end times. But I thought instead of doing it in a, uh, a, a theological series, it'd be good to go through verse by verse and uh, to show how even uh, how it's the end times and what we believe about the end times is integrated in the life of a church. And that's certainly the case in the letters of first and uh, second Thessalonians. Every church has a story 
And uh, the story of the church in Thessalonica starts with Paul's first visit to that uh, church. And so I just want to go through that uh, uh, this morning. It will let you know some uh, about the background. And I hope it will also just encourage you that the Lord is faithful to our church as, he's, as he was faithful to the church in Thessalonica as well. So fairly simple message. I'm just going to go through um, the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. Uh, I've broken it into three parts, our passage. So first, the beginning of Paul's time in Thessalonica, verses 1 through 4. Second, the end of Paul's time in Thessalonica, verse 5 through 9. And then the follow-up to Paul's time in Thessalonica. We'll look at that just briefly in verse 10 through uh, 15. But uh, Paul's visit to Thessalonica, the beginning of the church, took place on Paul's second missionary journey shortly after Paul first brought the gospel to Europe in answer to uh, the Macedonian call, a man calling to him uh, in a dream and the Holy Spirit kind of funneling them to the westward uh, towards uh, Europe. So Paul was accompanied by his faithful friends on this trip, Silas and Timothy. And his first stop after crossing over into Europe, his first major stop was uh, Philippi. After Preaching the gospel in uh, Philippi, Paul began traveling along the main road, more or less in the direction of Corinth, because uh, on this missionary journey, he was going to spend a great deal of time in uh, Corinth when he uh, eventually uh, got there. But he left uh, Philippi, as it says in verse 1, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so there were two cities along the way. They're named, they're good-sized um, cities, but it indicates that Paul only stayed there uh, a night. He traveled through them. He traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. And then they came to Thessalonica, an important city. And because it was an important city, it had in it a synagogue of the Jews. And I think it was for that reason that Paul stopped there. In Thessalonica, there was a synagogue of the Jews there. According to Paul's custom, he went to them, the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scripture. And so for three weeks in a row, Paul, as a guest speaker, sat down in the synagogue in the in the synagogue of the Jews that was in Thessalonica, and he opened the scripture and he discussed with them. And he interacted with them because that's the way in which uh, it is uh, stated. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, like a back and forth, uh, explaining and uh, giving evidence. And so this synagogue of the Jews, and Paul's um, speaking there for three Sabbaths in a row, is where the story of the church in Thessalonica begins. And what was Paul's message that he was giving them from scripture? To these, uh, to the Jews in the synagogue of Thessalonica. Did he tell them and reason with them from scripture? Your life is incomplete. It's unfulfilled. It has a emptiness to it. But if you'll become a Christian like me, you'll have a completion. You'll have a fulfillment. You'll have a peace. By the way, all that is true. All of that is uh, uh, true. Um, their lives were empty. Um, Paul's was not. Paul had fulfillment. Paul had peace. So all of that uh, is true, but that's not what he told him. It's not what he told him when he went into the synagogue and opened uh, the scripture. 
Rather, he told them two things. He explained and gave evidence, verse 3, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. That's the first thing. He must have shown them using Old Testament uh, scriptures as well, that the Old Testament anticipates a Messiah who must die. Like think of Isaiah 53, uh, other passages of scripture that predict the Messiah's death and uh, resurrection. And so he showed them that uh, from scripture. And then one more thing that he showed them and saying, this Jesus who I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. So one message about the Christ, the Messiah, that's a title, and a second message about Jesus, the one who had died and come to life again. And he's saying they're the same. They match. Uh, you might put it this way, although I'm not sure Paul put it quite this way at this time yet. But the Old Testament, with its predictions, is a perfect match for the New Testament with its good news. They, they are uh, one and the same. It's a perfect fit. And uh, it is not a uh, uh, mismatch. So this teaching of the Christ who died and rose again, according to the scriptures, uh, in this place, the synagogue in Thessalonica, laid the foundation for the church in uh, Thessalonica. And it's a good foundation. In fact, no other foundation for a church can be laid than that. Christ has died. He's risen again. Jesus is uh, the Christ. And that's enough. For a church. It's enough for a church, uh, to be built. Well, who, um, who believed this three week testimony that Paul gave about Christ risen from, uh, the dead? Well, it says in verse four, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So some of them were persuaded, and uh, them is the Jews. This was the synagogue of the Jews. Paul preached the gospel there, and some of them were persuaded, uh, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks. Uh, and so in synagogues throughout the Roman Empire, Gentiles would sometimes come, not to become Jews. In fact, uh, there was a process for that to become proselytes. You'd have to be circumcised. And that's uh, not what they did. They were there sort of as spectators. They were interested in what was going on. So they'd come kind of halfway, you know, to observe, not quite to join the Jewish uh, community, but to benefit uh, from what they were teaching of scripture and uh, of the one uh, true God, and some of them were saved as well. So some of the Jews were saved, and along with them, a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women, wives of some of the leading citizens of Thessalonica. And apparently it was kind of a fashionable thing in the Roman Empire for your wife to be interested in this kind of strange people, this Jewish people with their strange beliefs, uh, who worshipped uh, one God. And so a number of these uh, women of the leading citizens also were uh, persuaded. And of this group, so the Jewish, some of the Jewish people, a lot of the God, God-fearing Greeks, and along with uh, a number of the leading women, not a few is what Luke uh, says, uh, they were persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, that the Old Testament points to Christ's death and resurrection, and Jesus is the one who has come. And they joined Paul and Silas. In other words, they became a church uh, at uh, that uh, at that point. So uh, this is uh, the beginning of Paul's time in Thessalonica. It's in verse uh, one through four, verse five through eight, or five through nine, 
is uh, the end of Paul's time in uh, Thessalonica, and it speaks of the riot that forced his departure. And as you read in Acts, it just sort of, uh, verse 4 flows straight into verse 5. In other words, we go from Paul preaching in the synagogue for these three weeks, three Sabbaths in a row to the riot that forced Paul to uh, leave uh, from Thessalonica. And so sometimes, often, readers of the book of Acts or pastors who are preaching on this portion have marveled that in only three weeks, that Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica, and yet um, what he preached and what he taught and the people who believed they survived as a church, they thrived. They actually became a healthy church, a model church. As Paul writes the two letters back uh, to them, it becomes uh, clear of that only three weeks of Paul uh, being there. Well, I think there's actually evidence there's more time between. There's more time uh, between. So when you go from verse 4, the three weeks he spent in uh, the synagogue, to verse 5, the beginning of the riot, which uh, forced him out. There's a, a little bit of time that passed, but those who are impressed with the short time, they're on the right track because it wasn't much time. <laughs> it wasn't much time. I think it was longer than uh, three weeks, but uh, those who try to figure out dates of when Paul was where on his journeys have figured out it was really only about four to six months that Paul spent in um, uh, Thess- Thessalon- Thessalonica. Um, not a lot of time, longer than three weeks, and I think that's clear from some of Paul's letters. For example, First Thessalonians 2 indicates that while Paul was there, he established himself in his trade of uh, tent making, and uh, Paul and Silas became a model of godliness to uh, the people, and especially in the matter of working for their own food, which uh, became an issue later. Uh, they were there long enough to give detailed instruction to the uh, Thessalonians about Christian living, and also even about the end times as well. And so I think that probably took longer than uh, three weeks. Also, Philippians, and I'll just read this uh, section. Um, the letter to the Philippians indicates that the church in Philippi sent Paul a gift a couple of times while he was there in Thessalonica. And Paul was very reticent for any of the churches to support him. But he had a very special relationship with the church in Philippi. And so he accepted some gifts while he was staying in Thessalonica. Philippians 4, verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So probably there a little longer than three weeks if they're, uh, he's working and they're also sending him a gift uh, of money. And they did that uh, more than once uh, when he was there. Furthermore, uh, in the first letter of uh, Thessalonians, Paul indicates that most of the believers uh, that were there um, had come straight out of paganism by the time he writes uh, the letter. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 uh, says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And so from the majority of the church, they didn't come from the synagogue during those three weeks, whether they were Jews or God-fearers or uh, the more uh, leading uh, women. 
They didn't, they weren't already exposed to the one true God and then turned to Christ. But rather, while Paul was there, most of the people that were saved received uh, Christ straight out of paganism from worshiping many, many idols to uh, uh, being rescued uh, from that and serving the one uh, true God. And so that took place after the three weeks that Paul uh, spent in uh, in the synagogue. So um, Paul certainly spent a, a short time in Thessalonica, but enough time for the Holy Spirit to do his work and to cause a church, a lasting and permanent church to uh, come together. So uh, who was saved uh, at this time? Jews from the synagogue during these three weeks, along with Gentile God-fearers and wives of the um, prominent citizens, plus a good deal more pagans who had no stopover in uh, the synagogue but were saved uh, later during the time that Paul spent in uh, Thessalonica. And all of these people had very little in common with each other. None of them even knew what a church was before uh, Paul arrived uh, in, in town. And uh, they managed not only to be a church after Paul left, but to be a model church for other churches, to be a healthy church. And in fact, they learned actually to love each other. They learned to love each other. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse uh, 9 and 10 Paul writes back to this church. He says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And uh, he says, For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So the thing that these people had in common with each other is the seed that Paul first planted at the church, at the synagogue, uh, when he first arrived at the city, they all knew that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And that was enough uh, for them to uh, establish a church. It was enough for them to uh, be united with one another in the truth and to love one another uh, as well. And that should be enough for us as well. That truth, the truth of the gospel, that Christ is risen from the dead. Based on that, they had the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't take the Holy Spirit long to teach you something if the Holy Spirit wants uh, to teach you and for the scales to fall off uh, of your eyes. So for us, how much do you underestimate the power of that message? The power of that message simply, Christ is risen from the dead, according to the scriptures. Christ is risen from the dead, according to the scriptures. And if that's true, my sin is far worse than I've thought because I need a savior. It's the only way I can have God's favor is to have a God uh, who saves and who saves through a crucified and a risen uh, savior. And how much do you underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about a holy life, to bring about a holy church as well to those who simply believe on his name, to simply believe in their salvation in Christ and him uh, crucified? So this is true uh, for the Thessalonians that the Lord can build a church out of people who simply believe in the gospel. It's also true for us. It's also true for Trinity Bible Church uh, as well. Well, we've looked at the beginning of Paul's time in, um, in Thessalonica. 
in verses 1 through 4. It came to an end suddenly, and that's in verses 5 through 9. Verse 5. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have set the world, upset the world have come here also, and so on, and I'll stop uh, there. But at the end of Paul's time, it started in the same place where the beginning of his time started as well. It began back at this synagogue in, uh, in Thessalonica, uh, because it talks about the Jews became jealous, and that's why they started forming uh, a, mo- a mob. Uh, the Jews were jealous because Paul had taken a number of their people away uh, from them and then uh, grown uh, from there. The uh, Jews of that time in that place there did not have a, a missionary spirit. You know, they weren't a- a- doing any active outreach. Uh, they were passive when it came to uh, outreach, but they enjoyed being a-, a curiosity in the town, so to speak, and for even the wives of some of the leading uh, citizen uh, to come uh, and see what was going on uh, in that place. And so Paul arrived in that town, uh, took away some of their own people, the Jewish uh, uh, people, uh, because of his teaching, uh, the Gentiles who were there and also uh, uh, the leading uh, women, and uh, then began to win over many of their uh, pagan uh, citizens uh, as well. And so uh, some of these uh, people that were with them these God-fearing people that were once curious about uh, Judaism were now devoted to uh, Christ. And so uh, it was out of jealousy that these Jews um, formed a mob. They tried to harness the power of uh, a mob. They were helped by some wicked men that they found in uh, the marketplace, but their hostility to the Christians found a response to uh, everyone in uh, the whole city. And so uh, some of these leading citizens, perhaps they might have been okay with their wives um, um, uh, being interested in Judaism, but to associate with these odd strangers that had come into town and be devoted to the person uh, that they were preaching was quite a different thing. And so this mob found a ready reception with the, uh, with the uh, city, and uh, they went looking for Paul. Looking for Paul, he's the source of the problem for uh, the town. They don't find him. I don't know what Paul was doing, whether he was uh, sheltering somewhere, whether he was just uh, away. And so they end up attacking the place where Paul was staying. They attack Jason. And we had opportunity to mention Jason or a Jason, at least last time in uh, the book of uh, Romans. And we said we'd see him again. Uh, here in uh, Thessalonica today. And so here he is. He's not often talked about in scripture, but you know, he, he had the courage to face down a mob, uh, which is not a small thing. And so uh, he's uh, someone who's worthy of, uh, of looking at. They came and attacked the house of Jason and uh, dragged Jason and some of the brethren before the city uh, authorities. Now, who is Jason? We looked at him uh, last time when we were finishing Romans. And uh, Paul was uh, sending greetings from the people who were with him in Corinth as he was taking the collection uh, of um, the money 
from the uh, churches that he had founded to uh, Jerusalem, accompanied by people from uh, a number of the churches that he had uh, founded. And so um, he says, Romans 16, verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my uh, kinsman. This is about seven or eight years after the church in Thessalonica had been uh, founded. This uh, Sosipater is from Berea. And so it makes sense that the Jason that he's speaking of, who's with him at that time, is accompanying him and is from uh, Thessalonica as well. He mentions about these people that they're his kinsmen. In other words, they're Jewish. And so I think Jason was someone who was there from the start. He was one of the Jews in the synagogue uh, originally who believed the message of salvation. It seems to me, here's what I, what I think, that after these three weeks uh, of Paul in the synagogue uh, were over, that those who joined with Paul began meeting in Jason's home. And that the first church in uh, Thessalonica was established in Jason's uh, home. And so uh, when this uh, mob seeks to find Paul, they go uh, and to uh, Jason's house. So um, it's an angry mob. It's a, it's a frightening thing uh, to experience. We've seen um, mobs recently. And uh, it would certainly they're they're a dangerous thing, and certainly this one was a violent mob. They attacked Jason's home and brought him brought him uh, before the um, authorities. And what was it they were saying? What was it they were saying? The very words are are listed of uh, the mob. They're recorded for us in scripture. They brought him before the city authorities, shouting, "These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar." saying there's another king, Jesus. Now, the um, the, the uh, Jews that um, were uh, seeking to, uh, to um, get Paul out of their city by this mob were acting according to a pretense. They were acting just for jealousy. But uh, they spoke what they thought would interest the city uh, authorities, something actually similar that was said about the Lord, accusing Paul basically of sedition. And so that's uh, what they say. This is, I guess, sort of a mob chant uh, that is given. The King James translates it kind of uh, memorably. These men who have turned the world upside down, and that's a good translation for what it says. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here, and Jason has uh, welcomed them. They're acting contrary to Caesar saying that there is another King Jesus. And in saying that these men turn the world upside down by saying there's another King Jesus, this mob, or what the Jews taught the mob uh, to say here, they spoke more truly than they knew. And I think that's probably why their words are recorded here in Scripture for us rather than just forgotten. It's not the first time the enemies of uh, Christ spoke something or put something on a placard that was more true than uh, they thought, and they actually stumbled on the truth, like the placard above Jesus' head when he was crucified. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And, of course, that's the truth. It wasn't intended to be said uh, in uh, truth. So uh, they say something that's true, that's worth remembering, that the gospel turns the world upside down. And I'll say something more about that in a moment. But it says, These men have turned the world upside down, have come here also. Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another King Jesus. And I think the idea there is 
They're acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar by saying that there's another king, Jesus. There are actually laws on the books at this time against predictions about other kings besides Caesar. And so to speak about that, by to say something about another king, was actually something contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And certainly Paul was speaking about another king, wasn't he? Christ was born of the seed of David and raised with power, coming again. Uh, and he's uh, coming as King of Kings and uh, Lord of Lords. And so Paul spoke about uh, another king, and he spoke about another king in such a way whose reign turns the world upside down. I think there's there's uh, certainly not something intended by that by these uh, by the mob who's uh, saying that, but there's a truth captured there that this king reigns. Uh, in such a way that turns the world upside down, or even the news of his reign turns uh, turns the world uh, upside down. Uh, of course, kings replaced other kings all the time throughout uh, history. Cyrus' kingdom conquered Babylon. Alexander was a king who arose and conquered that kingdom, and Caesar himself, uh, what, uh, his kingdom replaced uh, even uh, Alexander. They did this all without turning the world upside down. Um, it was just another guy in charge at the top, another person risen to the top in the world the same as it was uh, before. Not so with this king, with Christ. This king uh, is a king who reigns in such a way that turns the world upside down. The, uh, the confession of the Christian faith, the most basic confession of the Christian faith is that Jesus is Lord. And people often bring out uh, the significance that to say Jesus is Lord means that uh, Caesar is not Lord because that's what Caesar claimed to be the highest uh, Lord. And uh, so the Christian claim is that uh, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is, of course, a higher authority than uh, the state. And so the Jesus is Lord and Caesar reigns now uh, only for a time, only under Christ the King, only in the sphere carved out uh, for him in which he's been given to operate. And one day, even that kingdom is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of uh, his uh, Christ. But the confession, the great confession, Jesus is Lord, speaks not only that he's the king, not only that he's he's uh, in charge now and is going to be in charge in a visible way over the world uh, uh, later, but it also speaks of the way that he's Lord. He's Lord in such a way that turns the whole world upside down and inside out and opens up a whole world of love that you have never known before from a God that you've never dared to think could exist in that way. And so this is not just the announcement of a king, but the announcement of a king that turns the whole world upside down. And I don't think that the people in the mob meant all that that I'm uh, uh, saying to you, but I think their words were recorded uh, for us uh, because all of that is uh, uh, true. Let me put it this way. For an earthly king who reigns, you know their favor. You know you have favor with that king to the extent that you know that he knows that you deserve it. For this king, for Christ, you know his favor to the extent that you know that he knows that you don't deserve it. And uh, so that he would have to send a savior like Christ uh, to die uh, for you. And knowing that, 
knowing that he gives his favor to you and you know of, of his favor to the extent that you know that you don't deserve uh, his favor and uh, that your, your favor belongs, his favor belongs to you only in uh, Christ. Knowing that, knowing the grace, in other words, growing in the grace and knowledge of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the key to Christian living. It's the key to thinking beyond yourself, beyond your own deserving or not deserving uh, in your own est- estimation, but thinking beyond yourself towards others. It's also the key to gospel witness spilling out to others and spilling out to the undeserving that are around you, even the most undeserving that are around you. And so if gospel witness opportunities to speak, uh, the gospel is not topmost in your mind as you're uh, going going about uh, in the world. It may be because you're not resting in the love of Christ to you, which is love towards the most undeserving. And so you need to be reminded of that and go back to the beginning, go back to the doctrine that the church in Thessalonica and that the, every church is founded on that Christ is risen from the dead and let that turn the whole world upside down for you uh, again so that God's existence itself is not just a reluctant concession to reality. Yes, I know that God exists, but is good news for you because it turns the whole world uh, upside down uh, in a wonderful way. And even the unbelievers in Thessalonica had some sort of inkling of this, as they said, these are the men who have turned the whole world upside down and have come here announcing another king, a king of a different kind, uh, uh, Jesus. So this is uh, what the mob uh, was saying. Of course, it, uh, it caught the attention of uh, the authorities for their own selfish reasons, trying to keep their own place in the eyes of Rome. And it actually won them over. Verse 8, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard those things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. This uh, pledge or bond or uh, bail is money held in uh, security received from Jason and the others, the other brethren who were caught in this uh, mob uh, with them. They extracted this uh, money from them. Uh, for their freedom. And the idea of this was that uh, the money would be forfeited, the money held in security would be forfeited if there was perhaps uh, more trouble. We don't know the conditions uh, of this, so we can only speculate. Luke just gives a brief outline of it. They received a pledge from Jason and the others, and in that they released them. But for whatever reason, it became clear because of this that the time had come for Paul uh, to go. Because uh, the next verse in verse 10 says that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to uh, Berea. So the Lord used this uh, in some way. But I'll, I'll say about Jason before I leave uh, him uh, that when the, the pressure came, when the moment of truth uh, arrived, Jason and the men that were with him, the brethren, though they were all new believers, they stood and they were a blessing to the church in uh, that way. Well, the beginning of Paul's uh, um, time in Thessalonica began in the synagogue in these uh, three important weeks that established the church. The end, the synagogue was also involved with the uh, Jews that were there running out of patience and, and uh, running Paul out of town with this uh, mob. And uh, we'll look at the follow-up to Paul's time in uh, Thessalonica starting in uh, verse 10. And I'll just go through this quickly because it just mentions Thessalonica. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. 
And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. So a similar uh, experience. He, he went to the next city. Um, it was about 50 miles south of uh, Thessalonica, and he did the same thing. He went to um, the synagogue, and uh, he received a, a, the same kind of reception, a reception from some of the people, including some of these uh, more prominent Greek citizens that were there kind of as um, uh, observers. And there's, there's a comparison made with Thessalonica. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to, to see whether these things were so. I think the comparison that was made uh, with the Thessalonians is really a comparison just of this beginning stage in the synagogue, because actually I think the church in Thess- Thessalonica was actually turned out to be a stronger church um, and an example church to all the churches in this area. But in the beginning stages, when Paul was just preaching in uh, the synagogue, the reception was even more eager. The people were even more inquisitive and uh, wanting to compare it with Scripture, not just every week, for the, like for the three weeks he was there in Thessalonica, but every day they wanted to uh, meet. And so it uh, speaks of them receiving the word with great uh, eagerness at that uh, point. Verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. They left. And that's another story for another time about Paul in um, Athens uh, as well. But uh, the the simple point, just for our, to, as an introduction to our study of these two Thessalonian uh, letters, is that the Jews from that synagogue in Thessalonica were still angry enough to spill over again when they heard about Paul uh, again, 50 miles south uh, of them. And so they went and uh, they uh, stirred up another mob. They did the same strategy and drove Paul out of uh, Berea as well, not before he had planted the seed of uh, the gospel. And then they went back to live side by side with their Christian neighbors in the Thessalonian uh, church. And so there's uh, the Thessalonian church exists with, continued opposition uh, of the people that are uh, around them. And that's another uh, important thing to uh, have in place as we study the first two letters of uh, the Thessalonians. So this is the story of the beginning of the church in uh, Thessalonica. Every church has a story. Every church has a story, a story of God's faithful guidance every step of the way. And so do we. This is uh, the beginning of theirs, fairly straightforwardly told in uh, the book of Acts. And we'll learn more of their story as we look at the two letters that Paul sent uh, back to them. The church in Thessalonica was a church born quickly, born quickly, uh, born in the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and born in the truth of Christ's death and resurrection. And there's great power in that uh, simple message. The message of Christ's death and resurrection, the most important message that Paul could give 
to this city, most important message we can give to the city uh, around us uh, too, it's a message of forgiveness. It's a message that results in unity among like-minded people in the gospel. It's a message that results in life and a message that results in hope. We're reminded to remember it in the story of how um, the church in Thessalonica started, um, which is given in scripture for our benefit. We're reminded to remember that simple message of the death and the resurrection of Christ and everything that it means as well at the Lord's table as well. And so we come before uh, the Lord to remember in this special way, in this actually very personal way that the Lord has given to show that the promise and the message, the good news of his death and resurrection is for you. And so he puts the symbols of it into your hands, into your mouth to say it's not uh, uh, just a, a, a message in general, but it's a message that is for you and that Christ is faithful uh, to forgive you and to give you resurrection life according to the message, the simple message of the gospel. It's to be received in faith, and our faith is to be strengthened by what we do at the Lord's table. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the simple message of the gospel, the message that Paul walked into the synagogue of uh, Thessalonica and opened your scriptures and began to expound. The scriptures say that a Messiah must come and die and rise again from the dead for the salvation of uh, human beings who are hopelessly lost in sin. And not only does the scripture say this, but Christ has actually come. And his, his name is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you've uh, sent your son and then you've sent your Holy Spirit to open our eyes. We pray that we might rest in the power of your simple gospel. We pray that we might uh, be surrounded both within and without by the power of the Holy Spirit to cause uh, purity, to cause unity, and to cause bold uh, gospel witness as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.